0: This is Trackside with Kirk Kavan and Kevin Lee. Chip Ganassi is right behind us. I saw him lean into the cockpit when you pulled into victory lane. Is this your last race in the 10 car? Might we see you back in this car next year? Yeah, we, the things are evolving good. So, yeah, we'll see um, what we can uh, tell. But, yeah, um, we're going to uh, enjoy the moment now, and we'll see what happens. Ferry has been out of control today and this week. Please pace yourself over the off-season. We've got a long way before St. Pete. We have no audio of Alex Pillow, despite my recommendation confirming that he was staying with Chip Ganassi Racing. That was announced last Wednesday, so the closest we got is that conversation nine days ago in our interview on NPR. So that means he looks with SP. That's good for him. Is it? Or would it have been better for him to be a full free agent? Uh, one of the potential destinations, though, at Andretti is not going to be open. I'll give possibly a different look at the F1 super license debate and denial for Colton Herta. And while the drivers are set at Aaron McLaren SP, leadership is denied. Uh, we'll discuss Taylor Kyle's surprise exits today. Hello and welcome. This is Trackside 93.5. 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Josh Malnix is in our studios on Monument Circle. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan. You're welcome to join in at Kevin Lee 23 <laughs> At Kurt Cavan tonight on the program. Um, do I need to? Oh, Indy44 doesn't have I don't know how to tweet the link, Kurt. So I always rely on Matt to tweet the link. So I'll look for that sometimes.
1: It's there. It's there.
0: It, is it there? It, It didn't come up. So my internet must be down on my iPad. So you retweet that for us. Okay. Can you do that? I did. All is good. Excellent. Okay. So I'll, I'll, during the break, uh, get internet on my iPad up and going. The important thing is we have internet on the broadcast link, and we have many, many things to discuss on the show tonight uh, it turns out that things were headed in the right direction for Alex Pillow to return. I'd still love to know how this all went down, how it was resolved and everything else. But last Wednesday, it was confirmed first in a tweet by Alex himself then by Chip Ganassi Racing, then you had the subsequent announcements by Aero McLaren SP that Felix Rosenquist was going to stay in their Indy car. And out of all of this, Alex Pillow also was given permission to run car. Apparently, when this was announced, already in the process of doing, he was already in Europe getting set to test the car. And, and he did that last week as well. So where do we start? What do we make of all of this that happened and that uh, really started with that July 12th
1: multi-team signing or at least announcement of the same driver? kind of feels like it was a total waste of time to some degree doesn't it like a lot of lawyer <laughs> fees feels like um, well maybe it gave us radio fodder and newspaper fodder and internet fodder but it all kind of ended up kind of in the right spot I think I think I'll leave you with with this to start with and that is I feel like the right the right resolution uh, came to be so we've got and I say that because I think Felix Rosequist deserved to stay in the seven car this sh- in twenty twenty three, and I think you know the way we saw Alex Pelot drive this year, it just felt like he was hindered by the the stress of the situation to some degree. It certainly didn't have the cohesiveness feel that last year did. Of course, winning races in a championship will do that, but it just didn't feel right to end the whole ntt data car without alex polo in 2023 it just felt like we needed to have kind of the same repeat itself and that's what we've got how it all came to be it's very difficult to tell other than it seems safe to say that chip ganassi made it very clear he was not letting alex out of his contract for 2023 and he may have had another year of uh of ownership for 2024 And in that case, he just said, I'm not letting you go. You can do whatever you want, but but, uh, you're under contract to me. And I think Errol McLaren SP just finally gave up and said, look, if you're either clear or you're not, and you must not be, so we've got to do what's uh, best for the team, and that's to get Felix uh, signed for 2023 because he's done a good job, and and we think he can win races for us. And there's still
0: a lot to unravel from all this. You mentioned – Next year, what we don't know is because I've mentioned this before that I've heard this and I've seen others write the same thing that Chip Ganassi Racing may have had an option on 2024 as well, which if that's the case, you maybe could see more of an incentive if they didn't like the way the, the pay structure was going and the options were going to try to force the issue from the Pillow camp. So, one, we still don't know if that's true. And two, if it is, was true, has there been any adjustment of that? For example, is Alex Pillow a free agent uh, this time next year? Or is there another option on 2024 for his service? Ultimately, it also seems like this side had fantastic options doing it another way. The option, or maybe putting it better, I think Errol McLaren SP had a much better option to do status quo and wait on him or just move on from him than doing what it was going to take to bring him into the fold. Meaning, whether it was $10 million or even if it was down to $2 million. I think that's still too much if my choice is Alex Palou, plus giving him a raise plus paying a $2 million rights fee compared to Felix Rosenquist, who is probably at a much lesser deal. Because remember, this isn't a new contract for Rosenquist. This is exercising the option for him. Probably a decent pay scale because they had to entice him to leave Massey Racing. But it certainly is taking to get Alex below, even before you think about the buyout clause. And by the way, we now know that Rosenquist can drive our car. I'm speaking if I'm Errol McLaren SP, we are not 100% certain that Alex Pillow can drive the car. How about the last guy that came from the number 10 car? It took him over a year, highly regarded, race-winning driver, not a championship driver like Pillow, but highly regarded. It took him over a year to get acclimated to the way they do things at Arrow mclaren sp and the way the car drives it's also a chevy compared to a honda which does drive a little bit different so and then go to the ganassi side i i was not seeing any good options for them i'd love to know what chip ganassi what was said behind closed doors what he really thinks did he look at it as hey polo has always been the best best driver available or you're, but, but eventually backtrack because, oh, we going to take a big buyout to get David Malukas, and that might not even be an option. And we're not sure if he's ready, yada, yada, yada. There wasn't, other than maybe Felix Rosenquist, which would also be backtracking on someone that I suspect Chip was, was mad about. I saw Paul Tracy told the story somewhere. It was one he reminded me of a few weeks ago that – He declined an offer from Chip Ganassi in 1995, and he said Chip's still mad at him about it. And Paul declined it because he had already signed with, well, I think it was Newman Haas. He was leaving Penske at the time, or maybe he was going back to Penske. He went back and forth a couple of times. But he had already signed a contract, just wasn't allowed to say what he had signed, so he couldn't give Chip a firm reason why he was declining joining his team. And, you know, whether that's true or not, He's fact. So it took. It was going to take Chip either going back and accepting Pelot, or accepting Rosenquist. Uh, So mostly, I think this is a marriage of convenience. And
1: now, are we into a lame duck situation in 2023 for Alex Pelot? Probably, but here's the thing: the only thing that doesn't make sense to me is why Chip Ganassi agreed to let. Hello, go drive some other cars for some other teams, because if unless it was just we're not going to give you the amount of money you want, but we will let you go do some things in the offseason, because I would think he could stick to his guns pretty easily and saying, no, we we don't want you driving for other teams and other and other test sessions, et cetera. We're just going to give you this much money. Okay, maybe we'll give you a little bit more money, but we're not going to let you do some of those extracurricular things. So it, it was uh, it maybe a little bit of a surprise to me that that uh, Ganassi conceded on that. And, and mm-hmm. maybe, I mean, that just sounds like, you know, something that you or I would do just kind of out of the goodness of the heart, goodness of our hearts to make the deal work for everybody involved. You know, you do that when you have a transaction, you're selling your car, you're selling your house, whatever it is. And you want to just make everybody feel happy. I can't imagine that's that's the place from which Chip Ganassi entered into these conversations, making Alex happy. But unless he just didn't want to give him the extra money.
0: Now, it's also been said by a lot of people, you do not want an employee that wants to leave, so it's in your best interest to suck it up and do something. If, if you're going to move forward, if you're not just going to cut bait and either park him, let him go, try to make him quit, it's in Chip Ganassi Racing's best interest. And then here's another thought, too, is were and with the possibility of going, going for trial, Those were for Alex Pelot, but I think I've seen it mentioned that it was, and I don't have the phrasing in front of me, but it was more of a lifestyle choice, right? Something along the lines of, he felt like he needed to get back to Spain. Uh, He wanted to go home, and the way to do that, to at least get closer to home, was to eventually get to Formula One. So if they were going to use that as an argument, Chip Ganassi Racing could say, Okay, go find yourself a seat in Formula One right now. Oh, wait a minute. There's not any. You're not getting one. So the next best thing you can do is if you really do want to get to Formula One is we'll let you test somebody's car. But you'll continue racing our car. So maybe that was something that was advised to show that you are bored to do everything to make this employee happy. And you are fully living. And you're, in fact, going beyond the terms of the agreement. One more, one more reason to believe that Ganassi had the upper hand as far
1: as any type of legal situation. Yeah, I think it's it's clear that Ganassi had had it locked down, in, in that respect, and and good for the team for for sealing all the all the the points. Uh, you know, there was some, you know, some other things that may or may not have been part of the discussion whether or not you know alex asked for a new contract and and chip you know was going to present him with one which will leave alex the opportunity to turn it down and who knows who knows where all that stood but but yeah we kind of thought all along chip ganassi had the upper hand but i'll go back to some of our early shows after that july uh, show where all this mayhem took place and and we didn't give there much chance of of alex returning to the ten car in 2023 but lo and behold this is where he's at i don't know if he's happy about it he seems happy about it went to their end of season gatherings and and said all the right things so I don't know. We'll, we'll see where we'll see where this lands in 2023. But for right now, we've got some normalcy and we've got uh, Felix Rosenquist with a chance to to really have a breakout year. His first really good year in the IndyCar series. And, you know, it does have a domino effect. We're going to get to that as we go. But it feels right. It feels normal. And it feels like this is the way it should have gone all along. And as we move past that first Toronto weekend,
0: after the clashing announcements and the, the political one. Each week, maybe increase. From I'm telling you there's a chance, but not much to, you know, to where we got three or four weeks ago. You know, I think we felt like, Hey, it's about 50, 50. And part of that was because, Alex Pillow needed to push that possibility. Uh, this is right now. And of the last few weeks, once we saw where things stood, this was maybe not what he originally envisioned or what he was told mistakenly, I think, was possible. This became by far the best option because I'm telling you, there are a lot of people in the industry in and in the paddock fearing that alex pillow had ruined his career that he would sit out a year and might not ever get the opportunity in a seat like this again he'd drive again but what if whenever he the the you're being asked for funding to drive the car and you're done you know you're you're carlos muñoz looking for another opportunity to, to get back in and not comparing uh, them per se because Carlos made any mistakes. He didn't. But Carlos is just an example of someone that we think was pretty talented, Not as didn't have the success that Alex Below did, but he went away very quickly, and we've really not heard from him since. So good for Alex because I do like him. I'm happy that we're going to have him continue in the sport. And... <laughs> uh someday the full story can sort of be told i'll give credit to marshall pruitt on racer.com i thought that was you can speak to this as a journalist i thought this was a highly creative way way to write what you think you know without if you didn't see it last week it, it was i think titled something like fever dream and the story he wrote there may have been one or two instances that i wasn't familiar with maybe but pretty much everything he threw out there were scenarios that I had heard, uh, but didn't know whether it was fact or not. And he may not know whether it's fact, but I'm going to guess he wrote it because he believes it to be true, but
1: doesn't have to prove it when he writes it in this fashion. Well, that's that. that's a column. And so he was able yeah. to to do a do a masterful job of of kind of writing what he thinks he knows. And I've been in that spot many times where you're just sure, you know but you can't go on record and, you know, tell your bosses, you got two sources and, and whatnot, you know, so you have to come up with a way to, to kind of storytell. And you do that in the form of a column. And, and again, to your point, and, and I'm seconding, seconding it, he did a nice job of, of just kind of weaving things together and, um, he did mention a lot that he wasn't sure if he was dreaming or not. So he made that point clear, but you know, I think that's how it's felt from the get go. Are we, you know, go back to what was it? July the 12th. We kept thinking, is this, is are these tweets real? Did somebody hack one of the accounts? Uh, So it has been very strange from the get go. Uh, The last two months in particular have been something you couldn't have drawn up. And I think to your point that, that Alex Pelot probably feels like, maybe I got bad advice, maybe we misjudged this. Whichever the case is, but this is about as good and clean of an outcome as as I could hope for. I don't know why if if he's living and he wants to live in Spain. I mean, the IndyCar races would allow him to uh, to do what Max Chilton has done and fly back and forth. I mean, it does take time and money, but. Uh, he could have uh, come up with an arrangement that did that, but maybe at Chip Ganassi Racing, they, they'd they like to see their drivers a little more often in the shop. It's pretty difficult to do. And Absolutely.
0: Alex Pillow going to spend most of the salary doing something like that over the course of a year, or at least a decent per- percentage of it. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that already gets us soon into twenty twenty four with that. But let's let's move on to the next item up for bid, and Felix Rosenquist, is this good or bad for
1: Felix? Well, it's good for Felix. I mean, one anytime you can add an extra year to your contract or or your career, if you will. That's a good thing. You you just keep stacking years, whether that's one year at one team, two years at the next team, whatever it is, keep stacking years together. The other thing is, I believe that this gives him a showcase platform. He's already essentially won in the court of public opinion. People didn't like the way he was he was treated, at least that's the perception, that he was not treated well at at Arrow McLaren SP. Uh, he might argue otherwise. I'm not sure, uh, but it, he's won the court of public opinion, and people are going to be more favorable to hiring him because they believe he did a good job for that team, and we do too, by the way. So I think, you know, it was a good audition year. Maybe the only reason I could argue that it isn't good for him is because you need to strike while the iron's hot. And he was a hot Mm -hmm. commodity at this point. And Mm -hmm. there were jobs open. Uh, Now, none of them are at the level of arrow McLaren SP. And by the way, I will say none of them are at the level of arrow McLaren SP as of yesterday, uh, which we'll get into about how things have changed in that race team now. But as of yesterday, you know, with Craig Hampson as his engineer, with Taylor Kyle as a team president, that car was running better in in 2022 in the second half of the year than it had been in the year and a half prior. So, yeah, he's not getting to cash in on what might be the, the highest momentum that he's had over the last few years. But I will say he gets to stack another year. Uh, he'll have another chance to win races. He'll have another chance to be a a championship contender, if you will, even move up in the standings, perhaps, or at least show that he's the driver that people think he is. So I think ultimately it's good for him. But I, I think I see where, where you could argue uh, to, to the contrary.
0: I think it's ultimately good for him because the 26 is not open. This time last week, we thought there was still a chance that the Andretti seat would be open. And I think he would have been easily the choice. Um, with that said, there's less certainty, so it, it is a good thing for him staying there. Now he's going to be in the same situation again, he's going to be laying if, if they're probably going to go after, but his have a good year that I have a different engineer. This has not been announced. I've not confirmed it with anyone, but I will be very surprised if Craig Hampson is not engineering Alexander Rossi in 2023. Right. right. So Felix is going to have a different engineer, I think, on that car next year. So, yeah, they're all kind of sharing, and that helps, but it's starting over a little bit. Craig Hampson is one of the best, and they they did click by the second half of the year. His other options were going to be – well, one, if somebody made a surprise change, uh, which I think is possible, and we're not talking in the Penske category, You know, I don't see anything in the Ganassi category because the 48 only runs if Jimmy Johnson is running in at least part of the time, and then it becomes a shared ride. Seed at Hunko's Heilinger is something that Callum Ilot would love to have him as a teammate, whether that was going to be a – is going to be a higher drive or some that requires some budget is TBD at this point. So ultimately I think this is good for Felix at the 26 at open. He might've been like, please let me go uh, because I could have gotten a multi-year contract to go somewhere else rather than still be year to year. And he would have gotten a raise. He Maybe he got a raise out of the goodness of their heart, or maybe the option said if you pick it up, which sometimes happens. If you pick up the option, there is a raise included in that front. Uh, let's save Colton Herda and management for Aaron McLaren SP for the next segments. So we'll get into that. Your questions, comments, and more are welcome at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. It's trackside 935 1075, the fan. This is Alex Pelot, and you're listening to Truckside. <laughs> Thanks for staying with us at Kevin Lee23 at Kurt Cavan. Hopefully, the connection is stronger. I put the IT people in charge of things, and it helps if the plug is plugged in. And I would be the person that didn't check to make sure it was plugged in at the other end, or maybe Indy the 30 pound cat stepped on it and unplugged it that's as good a chance as anything but hopefully we're crystal clear here for this segment and beyond and our next item up for bids oh let's talk super license i really wish we we wouldn't uh because i i think we're all growing quite weary of the whining about super license points and how dare they not accept our drivers into their little club and so forth but if you've been in a hole, the, the story is essentially this. Uh, there had been hope that Colton Herda could move directly into Formula One without having the required super license points. What that is, is essentially, it, it, and it, it was a good idea. It was put in place to protect Formula One from someone simply buying their way from, say, British Formula Four all the way up with a massive amount of money it needed you, meant you needed to at least do pretty well in their ladder system and score a certain amount of points you may not have to win championships but you got to kind of finish top three at a couple of different levels and was put in after max Verstappen uh made it when he was 17 years old turns out max Verstappen, with one year of car racing was qualified to do that but that was the point so their system is very much weighted towards the European ladder and doesn't really give IndyCar a whole lot of credit, no more credit than F3. So Colton Herta didn't have the required points. They were looking at ways and I have to believe if somebody really wanted him in, they could have gotten in, but, uh, the head of Alpha Tori, the Red Bull junior team where he was to drive basically said last week, we're done pursuing this. He's no longer an option. So, The way I say it is good for us. He's going to be staying in IndyCar, and here's the other side of this that one would agree. I'm not sure an American driver, unless if it's a massive name like Danica Patrick in her prime, or Dale Earnhardt Jr. or Jeff Gordon. You know, maybe some people that aren't even qualified to drive a Formula One car, but someone like that is the only kind of name that's really going to move the needle for them all that much. They don't need any of the IndyCar drivers, in my opinion. Someone like Elio would be more notable that they might recognize. Most of them probably don't really know, no offense, but they don't really know Colton Herta. And if Colton was that big of a star or the other drivers that are being talked about, like Pato Award and Alex Palou. um, Maybe the IndyCar ratings would be a little bit higher at this point. And I'm not sure if many of the newer F1 fans, the Drive to Survive crowd, like it. I think they do like the sport because it's not American. Uh, Everybody likes someone with an accent. And that's part of what Formula One provides. Now, would some of the audience from IndyCar help? Informed the one, sure. I'm sure they could draw 100, 200,000 people, and and that would probably be to their benefit. Uh, I think a decent amount would watch. But the bad part of that would be if Colton Herta does well, that validates IndyCar, and they don't really want that. What if he does well, and then the other teams are going to say, "Oh, wait a minute, we've been missing the boat. We want Alex Palou, we want Pato Award," and then their F2 and development drivers don't have any place to go. And that's taken away the value of their ladder system. So I think they'll adjust the super license requirements, and Indy car drivers will eventually be given more points, but it will be a process, and I think it will work out in the right timing for Formula One, because right now it's the end thing. But I think that shine will wear off in a matter of years where it's no longer quite as popular, and then they're going to want to maintain. And I think that's when they have more of a desire to have IndyCar's best young driver to bring some of that audience. In the meantime, they just want our money. They want our sponsors. They want everything but the drivers. Eh, we got plenty of drivers. We don't care about your drivers.
1: The only thing I would argue about is that Colton Hurd is still very young. I mean, he's he'll be 23 or just about when the season starts next year, he's got time. Obviously he's, obviously, he has talent, but he has time to become a star in Formula One, or IndyCar mm-hmm. for that matter. And I think, you know, having an American driver is not critical to Formula One. We've seen that. But I think I think for long-term stability in this country, I do think it's important to have, you know, a young rising star kind of guy that gets in you know colton will challenge you know the the elite he will he's not afraid to say what he thinks he says it in a way that's very direct partly because that's just who he is but you know he kind of has that i'm and and we're going to use the drummer here but he kind of has the drummer mentality i don't care i'm going to the front and if i'm not in the front you know, he kind of has that that, uh, that attitude you'd like to see in a race car driver, and I think that would play very well in this country, uh, and, you know, be the anti-Formula One in Formula One. So I think there are a lot of reasons why you would want Formula One, or you would want Colton in Formula One if you're Formula One, uh, but you're right, it, you know, validation of the IndyCar series is not something very high on the Formula One list. And you know, you hate to see guys leave, and you'd hate to see Pato Award go, and Colton, and Pillow, and you know, maybe it's Hunter McIlray and Christian Rasmussen down the line, and Stingray Rob, all those kind of guys looking in other directions. You you wouldn't want that, but uh, look, it's um, you know, Colton. It, what's what's unfortunate is he doesn't have the the super license points to start with because. You, you forget he finished 10th this year, which means nine other guys were scoring more points than than he did. And, uh, you know, you he, he would have thought he'd have had a better year than to finish 10th in the series. Uh, had he finished where we thought he would have finished, he'd have the points, and maybe this would be a, a discussion that wouldn't be happening right now.
0: And, and you are right that they have time. That's another reason in Formula One side, which I think is going to play out perfectly. I, I don't think they – have to have an American driver right now. They've got America. I think they will need one in the next year or two. Uh, I suspect the next year of Drive to Survive is going to be even less interesting than this year's, which seemed to be a step down from the year before. They're kind of running out of material. So they're going to need something. Although, uh, one theory, someone in the know, uh, or at least close to the situation, said uh, they feel like part of Zach's Motivation for everyone to be on Drive to Survive more. And the feeling is that he is going to be a major part of Drive to Survive this year. So, this next one might be a little bit spicy and might have more of an IndyCar flavor to it with all that is going on. But I think Colton Herta will be of more benefit to them in a year or two. But I think, doesn't he have to finish like third in the championship? to naturally acquire now they could get him started early in the season they could have him start doing free practice one but I'm not sure that anyone with two drivers that they are pretending are long-term uh commitments that they want to start putting Colton Herta in their car in April you know it's got to be towards the end of the year when it's clear that we're moving in another direction so I think that's a little bit difficult to to make work I looked up my championship yeah, pick, and it was Colden Herda. I found our picks <laughs> from before the season <laughs> that we uh, recorded. I'm trying to look for the screen grab because I know I took a screen grab. Russ, Esports Group. This is not just on uh, the people that that are in our trailer, this is a or so that are employed by NBC. For the weekend, the only person that picked willpower as champion was Lee Diffey. Picked a fellow Aussie in that. Right, several of us picked Colton. No one picked the Indianapolis 500 winner. So I picked Herta for the championship. I picked Scott Dixon for the Indy 500, which was looking pretty good for a long while. And I was the only one that got of the on air people. There were a couple of other people: Dave Miller and graphics. And John Barnes, one of my bosses, the three of us picked Christian Lungard for Rookie of the Year, but the overwhelming favorite was Kyle Kirkwood amongst our group for Rookie of the Year. And that, that surprises me because it's, it seemed to make sense to me that, that Loongard was going to fare better than the the in the set. Back to Herta, I still don't know all of this it, we're a minor league it's all in perspective I I don't look at it that way and if he had moved on it would have just been a reason for me to pay a little closer attention to Formula 1 and I would have been fine with that knowing that he's probably going to come back hopefully not in two years but probably a decent chance in two years best case scenario it's in 10 years after a great career I think Formula 1 doing well it's annoying Don't get me wrong. The fascination with Formula One right now in America is annoying to a lot of us that have spent a lot of time in IndyCar, but I do still think if we do it correctly, it can be a benefit. People are now exposed to similar style racing, closer to IndyCar racing than NASCAR is, or NHRA in sports car racing. So let's use it to our benefits to be more attainable for fans and sponsors and use the fact that drivers go back and forth. Drivers like to get to Formula One because it it pays really, really well. Uh, But they also, when they get to IndyCar, become wonderful spokespersons for what's good about IndyCar.
1: Yeah, and, and you think it's uh, a little intoxicating what Formula One is is saying and doing in the US these days. And only, f- by the way, I'm not against it. It's just the fact that we've got an excellent product here in the States mm-hmm. that, that runs every week, you know, and, and puts on great shows, whether they're at Mid-Ohio or Toronto or Indianapolis or Texas, name your name your venue, but just wait till the Formula One race next year at Las Vegas. You know the schedule now out in Formula One for uh, November 18th next year, and they're talking about this. And I saw it on Formula One site: the most anticipated Grand Prix in motorsports history. Now, is that is that really going out on a limb? Uh, is that really uh, state you know putting the flag in the ground that that they think it's going to be a big deal? So you're going to hear a lot of that kind of uh, approach over the next uh, what 13 months. So buckle up, it's going to, get, you're going to get loud from Formula One here in this country.
0: 1 a.m. Eastern start time, 10 p.m. local, and they had it in the contract. They could start it even later than that because they want it to be – that's Saturday night, which is very rare. I think I read that it's only the fourth time Formula One has had a Saturday race, but it turns out to be it's Sunday morning. In the UK, probably 7 a.m. ish, depending on the time change. It's usually either five or six hours difference in London, so not I want to, and I'll be watching at the same time. I'll be watching it at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning, live to me on on DVR. Uh, we'll get to the schedule coming up in a little bit. In this segment, I want to get to next. The you know, normally we talk about drivers. Sometimes we talk about engineers. But in this case, we're talking about a young team president who was also a strategist who got a lot of airtime on the broadcast because, well, one, patients were really good. You know, the calming voice in championship contender Potter Awards ears for the last couple of years and the face of the organization, because the other face, Zach Brown, isn't at the races very often. Taylor Kyle uh is moving on and let's start with it first from the announcement on social media nathan brown actually posted it at first i don't know if he got a, a tip but he got it a few minutes before i saw it on social media from aero mclaren sp the release was this effective tuesday september twenty. taylor be president after two seasons as the team grows to three cars for the 2023 ntt indycar series season announcements on team management will be made in due course so maybe this is just the nature of business and it's a matter of facts. This is a Formula One team operating in IndyCar now. This is clearly McLaren. Um, you know, most of us would expect something along the lines of we thank him for his service, best of lush- luck moving forward, and minim- minim- minimizing the, what, almost 15 years he had been with the organization to just mention two years. Oh, this guy wasn't with us very long. He's moving on. We'll replace him on our own timeline. All is good here. Um, so that, and again, maybe that's just the nature of the business. And if I looked at all of the other Formula One releases over the years, maybe they are as terse as this. But that was the first thing that I started working for you when he was in high school. <laughs> sweeping the floors and worked his way up to team president. So that's not the important part. First thought was, uh uh-oh. And I'm biased on this. Taylor's my friend. We went to the same high school. I I really didn't meet him though, until he started dating Katie Hargett. Now his wife, Katie Kyle. And that's how I got to know him a little bit more. My first fear was, uh uh-oh, I hope he didn't get fired. Very quickly, I talked myself out of that thinking, no, I don't see it. Things are going well. I cannot imagine this. This makes more sense that, because I know this, when I talk to people in the paddock with teams, everybody is begging for quality help at all levels engineering, leadership, mechanic, truck driver, at every level in the sport. So it quickly became I think Taylor's either got another job lined up or has to some uh, um and wait for the phone to ring if he does not do good offers already. That's my thought
1: yeah your thought was cuz you broke up just a little bit there was that he's well, either got he something <laughs> he's got something lined up or he's banking on himself and he knows that his reputation in the paddock is very strong it might even be as right there on the cusp of as a strategist at least right there with Mike Hall and Tim Sendrick the two arguably the two best uh most established strategists in the paddock his his uh, calming voice in in Pato Awards here was spectacular. I suspect his leadership in the building was equally as calm and and you know strategic and and I think he's he's got you know everything you would want in a man- management. And I agree. I thought the I thought the statement by Errol McLaren SP you know didn't reflect uh, the effort and the time that. Um, that Taylor put into the organization. But, uh, you know, again, from the people that write those, you know, tweets now and that social media, they haven't been with the organization nearly as long as as others within the team. So I I guess it doesn't surprise me, but it it did feel like kind of a a disservice to to all that he put into the team. And and the the rise isn't all because of him. He would say that as well. But all that he did for that organization – um but anyway that's neither here nor there and it never it never goes as as smoothly and as quietly and with uh the kind of approach that we would all like when we leave a job uh, actually mine went exceptionally well but that's another story but um you know he's he's not going to be out of a job long or at least uh, he's going to have as many offers as he can handle uh, a lot of speculation that he would join uh, Ganassi racing his, uh, uh, his stepfather is Mike Hall. And, uh, although Mike wants to work for a longer period of time. So I, I don't know that my he's taking be Mike's no. job. Yeah.
0: My, my guess is it's going to be somewhere else. I, I don't, he, it he's probably not will going be. to. Yeah. He, he could, if you're and ask- I'm sure they could work together fine and no one would accuse anyone of nepotism because Taylor has developed himself for himself. So that'd be fine. But I don't, know that there's much as much of a need for management at chip ganassi racing as there might be at some other places that are expanding or have expanded within the last year so my guess would be somewhere else and by the way maybe brilliant uh because now he's going to get to take a little vacation at the time of year when everyone is going through things and there's a lot of planning and the week off is already done people are back in the shop this week so he can wait before he effectively takes uh, takes Wilson. I just have to believe that that was a position where you already talked about before, you had Rick Peterson, you had Sam C- has fully taken over, 75% ownership. And by the way, the two-year thing may really just kind of be referenced to, eh, that's how long we've been involved, so nothing really existed before we got here. Uh, but you're also dealing with bosses in the U.K., so you've got different time zones to deal with, and you probably felt like you were working an awfully long time. And I know we said this at the time too, when people joked about, uh, you know, what was that conversation like with Taylor Kyle and his stepfather Mike Hall? And I said I'm sure it was fine because Taylor found out, like the rest of us, that Zach Brown had signed these guys. Was my guess. I've never asked him, but I'm going to guess this was a fully Zach Brown production and that no one else sam schmidt uh rick peterson taylor kyle i'm going to guess they didn't have a whole lot of sense in how the alex pelot situation was handled so good for taylor good for katie happy birthday katie enjoy some time off and we'll look forward to seeing what pit stand you're on coming up in 2023 very soon more to come in a moment on trackside hi this is felix rosenquist and you're listening to trackside racing uh Porsche a Porsche sports car I think that's what it is they're doing something he and Marcus Erickson coming up soon and Kurt Marcus is getting his image done
1: in Charlotte this week for the Borg Warner Actually, it's probably two hours uh, west of Charlotte in the town of Tryon. Ooh. It's in the mountains, and Will Behrens lives there, and that's where his studio is. He's a great artist and has done all the Borg Warner trophy likenesses since um, since 1990. So he's done quite a few and and so Marcus had the chance today along with his girlfriend and other team representatives, to go down to Tryon and see the sculpting being made. If you're on social media, there've been a lot of photographs, uh, to look at, and it's such a cool process. It's a three-step process. They use the same basic clay that they've been using for a long time. And he shapes, puts this, uh, this image together. And and then he goes through a couple other steps to make the little egg shaped. Uh, it's about the size of an egg, I should say. Uh, piece that will actually go on the Borg Warner Trophy, which we should see in the next I don't know maybe month or six weeks or so and uh, you can look for uh, the Borg Warner Trophy to go to Sweden and and be showcased in in Marcus's hometown and, and Stockholm the capital and so forth. It'll be uh, on display across uh, Europe and that'll be really cool for Marcus.
0: Okay, coming up in the next hour, uh, lots of questions on the IndyCar schedule. When we're going to see that, we'll tell you what we know at this point. We've got NASCAR and F1 out, IMSA at this point. We'll talk 2024, some more championship nuggets, and plenty coming up, including your tweets at Kevin lee 23 at Kurt Cabin on Trackside.
1: Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside.
0: There's the champ. Thanks for staying with us. Hour two. Trackside, 93.5, 107. Indianapolis. Josh Malnix is in the MS Communications, or formerly MS. What is it called? Because MS still owns the building, right? So it's the MS Communications building, but in the Radio 1 headquarters. That's right. So, yeah, for those really following along closely, not that it matters to any of you, it does to us when we go in studio we'll need to know where to go but i believe the plan is we'll we'll join the radio one urban one group at their headquarters also downtown in a while it'll it'll be a little bit because well one i can't even plug in my internet so how could i possibly understand how you go to wire these major media companies so anyway josh is downtown kurt somewhere kevin somewhere you know where you are i hope at kevin lee 23 at kurt cabin uh speaking of will a couple of factoids i'd had in the uh, dossier for a while so they finished one two four in the championship for a while they had a chance at one two three so we start has anybody finished one two three before four Did you have that one in the notes leading into the championship round? You probably did.
1: Well, I didn't need it in the notes. I knew that it happened before. What I didn't think was that McLaughlin could get to third. So I wasn't really worried about it because I didn't think he'd get all the way to third.
0: And he didn't. He only ended up in fourth, and that was uh, tied for fourth and won that on a tiebreaker. And I think he made a pass on the last lap to, to get that spot. Marcus Erickson was set to be in the top five until the last lap or two of the race. So they went one, two, three in 2016. So that would have been with Pagano, Power, and Elio, and not necessarily in the two, three order. I know Pagano won the championship. I don't know if Will or Elio, that was the year before Joseph Newgarden, joined the team and the other year was in 94 that they dominated the indy 500 and that would have been without lunzer jr uh emerson fittipaldi and paul tracy so if you hear me kurt the internet has gotten worse or maybe your yeah. internet has gotten bad josh have you had me are you losing kurt <laughs> fantastic all right we're gonna make a trip down okay and josh should just break at so they they do finish one two and that's happened many many times as recently as 2019 2017 the one two three and 16 2014 uh all with penske ganassi did it in oh nine with uh Dario and Dixon, and Andretti Green and Newman Haas did it in 04 and 05. And the other nugget I would say that that I thought was interesting is that by winning, Alex Palou avoided becoming the first defending champion not to win the next year since Scott Dixon in that dreadful 2004 season, uh, when they were a bit underpowered, and there was even a weekend where the Ganassi cars pretty much all crashed at and we look around and there is a big empty spot in the parking lot and the transporters have packed up and they've left <laughs> and they just went home because they decided we're not crashing any more cars because we're not really fast enough to beat anybody anyway at this point all right let's get into some twitter comments questions uh and then we'll get into our next item of business as well Fleetwood Marky Moose says, have you heard anything recently about repaving at Texas? Seemed to be a hot topic a couple of months ago, and do you think the 23 Texas race will be co-promoted by IndyCar? So interesting you mentioned Texas. I did see today that NASCAR is there this weekend, and they're going to put the rosin on the track again. I don't think that's as bad as the PJ1. I don't think that has the same lasting impact. So hopefully we... Uh, don't see any residual from that as to whether uh, we're going to see a repave that was reported by someone a couple of months ago but was never so I, I honestly have to that I don't know whether that's true or not, but it would make some sense that they're gonna do it's since they repaved so I'm not promoted by IndyCar and another question i had was we can kind of answer this jake bartle said why don't we have a 2023 schedule one might be is maybe there's not a signed contract with texas yet now i know texas has already announced the date uh so maybe probably it's signed but i don't know so the reason why it hasn't been announced yet it could be a couple of things it could be they're looking at timing they didn't want to do it the same day that formula one announced there uh deal. They don't want to do it. They they Kurt, you can speak to this. You try to spread out the news a little bit, but it might also be simply because yeah, we're ninety-eight percent sure this is what the schedule is, but we need signed contracts from everyone. And we also need the network to sign off that they can find a place to air the race that day.
1: Yeah, I mean you start with the fact that you gotta have signed contracts. Uh, I know IndyCar in its history has had some years where it announced some races without the signed contracts. And then, lo and behold, those didn't come to fruition and you canceled the race. And so that's a bad look for everybody. So ultimately, it's in the best interest of the sanctioning body, the one that you know gets the black eye if you uh, announce a race and then it doesn't happen, is to wait until you've got them all. Now, in some of the cases like texas is a good example that the local promoter feels the need uh, rightly or wrongly but it is their market to announce a race date uh ahead of the sanctioning body so that's been done in a couple occasions in fact indianapolis motor speedway announced it would stage the uh, gallagher grand prix as part of uh the nascar doubleheader weekend so that road course race is on the schedule, even though IndyCar has not formally uh, confirmed that date. So there's an example. That's August 12th of next year. We also know, obviously, that the Indy 500 is May 28th. That's been, uh, you know, the details of that are are much reported. And, uh, you know, it's on all the logos. And so, you know, that's another example of of the uh the racetrack taking the lead and making the announcement, St. Petersburg, it, uh, it talked about the March 5th date back when we were there in the spring. And, and there have been some other ones uh, that you just start to piece together. Yeah, go ahead. But you start to piece together these based on, you know, what other sanctioning bodies are doing. Trans Am announced it's going to Nashville on August 6th on that particular weekend. It may not be the 6th for the race, but you get it my is. point. So it's it's that weekend. So all these things, you start to piece the, the schedule together, and you can speak to it now.
0: Yeah, and, and like St. Pete, for example, I think they even announced it for the following week, but that's been changed, and we know that because of another sports yeah. announcement. Texas announced that that race is April 2nd. Long Beach, I believe, announced last year that that's April 16th. Uh, Nathan Brown of the Indianapolis Star put a lot of these together, and he reported that Barber is going to be April 30th. The GP you mentioned, uh, the second weekend in May, the 500 date. Detroit has been announced as June 4th. Nathan also reported that Road America was going to be June 18th. That was one of the question marks we've had, and that is significant because Le Mans, the 100th anniversary of Le Mans, is the week before. So that does clear some in the IndyCar world. Not ideal, because they kind of need to be there Detroit weekend June 4th as well, but if they want to miss scrutineering and the parade and everything else and go through the fines uh, they, they could still show up and do the race but good for us as fans that we can watch them all next weekend and not have IndyCar that weekend yet uh, it's probably the July weekend that's the week I think next year so that could fluctuate a little bit Toronto I think the city announced July 16th we don't have a date for Iowa it's probably the next week Uh, In that case, it could be one week later. You mentioned Nashville, August 6th. We know about Indianapolis, uh, the second road course race on August 12th. We don't have a date yet for Worldwide Technology Raceway, Gateway, but that's either going to be the 19th or the 26th of August, uh, or it could be the Saturday night, but give that weekend. Portland is September 3rd. I don't know if we have another sports car event there that gave us that or not. And that may have just been Nathan's reporting. And then Laguna Seca on October 10th, which makes sense because we had heard that the Indianapolis IMSA race was going to be the week after the IndyCar season ended. And that Indianapolis IMSA race is going to be on September in 2023. Uh, when will we get it? You know, for all I know, it could be announced tomorrow or Thursday. Uh, I, I think it's soon. Um, but it's possible that there's still maybe one or two more things that are lingering out there at this point. Uh, maybe, maybe this is a good place next, Kurt. I was going to do this last week, and it wasn't because I was bearing it, but it was because we had a lot of things to talk about, and I never got into the TV ratings, which you know I think are not a super positive, that there's not a great uh, need to spend a lot of time on it, but I think it is worth discussing a little bit. For the finale, it was something like 500,000, And on network TV, some are going to say, oh, my God, how did this happen? Uh, But I would say, how did it, how can you avoid it? I don't think there's any way to avoid a number in that range when you are head-to-head with the NFL and exactly head-to-head with a NASCAR Cup race. Cup race started 12 minutes before the IndyCar race. So you were that this was announced the nfl is bad enough uh nascar head-to-head is even worse now i was hoping for a little bit more i thought you might see 600 some thousand and last year's event was a little over seven hundred thousand on week two of the nfl also keep in mind this is week one of the nfl so week two is a little bit better and last year they weren't head-to-head with nascar so right there There's a couple hundred thousand people. So that adds up. So I think your options are, uh, well, one, still being on network helps because if that had been a cable race, for example, if NASCAR had been on NBC and IndyCar was on USA, you'd be looking at a couple hundred thousand. Uh, So so I think IndyCar and NBC are kind of faced and the track, you know, because that's a, a big part of it as well they're faced with what are our priorities as are as earned and our desires here would be my idea in this kind of a situation and it may not work because you got to get other people to play ball as well yes it's great to be on NBC but in this circumstance i think it would have been better if you could have talked NASCAR into starting a half hour an hour earlier they're on USA network and then give up in BC and run on USA right after the cup race like they did a few years ago at Sonoma and drew over 900,000 i can almost guarantee you would get close to twice as many people certainly a significant amount more than you would head to head with a cup race in the NFL plus if you run at 6:30 eastern you're only up against what two NFL games in the fourth quarter and then Sunday Night Football, uh, first quarter, along with there are fewer games that you're working against, and you have the natural lead in of the NASCAR race and their viewership, which by the way, IndyCar also hurt NASCAR. They had something like 1.7 million which was down about 400,000. I'm sure a couple hundred thousand of the IndyCar fans or 100,000, whatever, might have been inclined to watch NASCAR. So you're kind of hurting both of the NBC properties in in that regard. So this is part of a bigger conversation. Um, I think IndyCar went head-to-head with NASCAR three, four, five times, something like that. And that's the dilemma that we've seen that the ratings are better noonish Eastern because there's less competition. But the tracks would like the race to be later in the day because the day is too short. You're not selling as many hot dogs. You're not selling as many drinks. You're not selling as much merchandise. It's hard to get all of the the feeder series and the junior series involved. And you'd like the IndyCar race. I don't think it has to be. We've seen junior series run after IndyCar in part to help traffic flow in the past. But, But I think it's a big question moving forward that IndyCar is going to have to look at. What do we do about our championship race if it's going to be, one, against the NFL, and two, we really need to avoid going head-to-head with NASCAR?
1: Yeah, I think the uh, the, the opportunities that you have with USA Network, which is growing uh, and really is much further along in the sports world than maybe we thought it might be by this point, I think those are those are good suggestions. I don't think you should i mean i know roger penske and and staff we all like and you you do too you like the nbc brand you like you like the familiarity with it you like the the options that it it gives you to reach more people but uh there are reasons on on occasion to consider the usa option as legitimate and and i think you raise some good points there
0: and i think part of the challenge too is going to be A large part of the industry sees NBC as, as they should, as a huge value. And I don't know how to explain this, but, you know, when the schedule comes next week, say it has uh, television assignments, and that is going to be seen as a positive, the the number of NBC races that you have and the people that you are selling this to within the community are going to argue, we need to be on NBC because we can then sell sponsorship at a better price or have a better chance of selling sponsorship because it's on NBC, and they're not getting into the weeds enough to see, yeah, NBC isn't always better than USA. If it's NBC, head-to-head with NASCAR on USA, head-to-head with the NFL, head-to-head with a major golf tournament, and so forth. Um, Head-to-head competition is more important in many ways Than network affiliation. So along with the promoters later in the day, in most cases, some don't. Road America is one that likes to start early afternoon. But I also, uh, I'm guessing that, and quote stakeholders want to be on NBC and don't want to hear any other argument. So that would take a major effort to, quote, educate uh, about what the options are and let everyone decide what might be the best scenario. Maybe it is better because you're selling in advance. You know, I, I doubt that the teams have to go do make goods like television does. If a rating doesn't reach a certain level um, for sponsorship, it makes it a little bit harder to sell next year. But they're probably always selling on network TV for cable, and, and it's easier for us to sell network TV even if we know the rating is going to be worse than it is to sell USA Network. Yeah. So I've just kind of argued around all of that, but the point I wanted to make there, Kurt, is it's not as simple as just saying, you'll get a better rating on USA, so let's do it. It still might be better for the business to be on NBC and take a hit.
1: No, you're right, you're right. It uh, Sometimes it's, I mean, it's just never as, it's like most things in life and certainly in sports decision-making. Uh, it, there. There isn't always a clear-cut answer. Uh, I think, as you said, it'll take some convincing to many people that an all basically all NBC uh, lineup is not ideal at times. I mean, there are reasons to consider other options, Uh, but, you know, each weekend is different. And that's the thing you have to take into account. And that's why, you know, you may see the schedule announced before you see the TV programming and the start times. Mm
0: hmm. Yeah, they, they sometimes do it that way. They sometimes they rarely have the start times, uh, but a lot of times they don't even have the network assignments with the original schedule. And you know, in, in many ways, even if you have it, maybe it's not a bad idea just to withhold that to give yourself another news cycle in November, December, January. You don't have to what else is going on. Oh, a shame they are going to level auto <laughs> it into going back to a west coast super speedway so maybe this is news tonight the last i heard was it was likely to happen you know they announced it was going to happen a year and a half or two years ago before the pandemic then they kind of backtracked and left it vague i think when the schedule came out it was something along the lines of this is expected to be the last race in 23 on the super speedway Um, but whether something new has come out or not it does appear like it's headed in that direction but unless something has been announced differently here in the last hour that i've missed i still wouldn't put that at a hundred percent i i feel like you know now they've uh they're resurrecting north wilkesboro they may get into a point where they decide well wait a minute we've got other short tracks why are we going to sp- spend all this money to turn a super speedway into a short track maybe we gotta have some diversity yeah
1: Yeah. I'd like the diversity of it. I like, I mean, it's not the most exciting race on the circuit by any stretch, but having a, having a super speedway is, is good. Uh, I've always thought that the the idea of turning it into a short track was short-sighted. I mean, I guess, I guess that's the way I perceived it, even if there were some business reasons to say otherwise, but I think they've got enough short tracks and, and I think keeping super speedways alive is, is how I would like uh, the racing world to, to look at the u.s market
0: i don't whether it it stays or not i don't see any chance in the next few years of indycar going to auto club speedway
1: agreed agreed
0: no no one was there no one was there the racing was fantastic Uh, not everyone enjoyed it certainly if you knew people involved in the race you weren't super comfortable with it but it's still a business and there were 150 people there on qualifying day. There are not many people there. That's the way ovals are. There are not many people there until race day, and then on race day there were five or ten thousand people. And that there's no way to make that work, or there's eh, no way is probably too extreme. It is difficult to make that work. I guess if you got two million people to watch on television and found a title sponsor. Maybe you can make that work, and it did get a real good TV rating one year when all the NASCAR drivers were watching from home and basically were tweeting, oh, my God, you've got to see what they're doing in IndyCar. And we had a real nice audience in one of those really, really wild races. Um, But I just don't see any path to IndyCar going back there. It's a long ways from Los Angeles. Um, But, boy, it was an entertaining race. It certainly was. All right, we'll get to more. Of Your Twitter comments, we've got other things that we have missed so far in the program all coming up. Trackside, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Joseph seemed to uh, put a lot of pressure on himself this year. He said, it's been a really tough year, mentally a very taxing year that almost brought me to the breaking point a couple of times.
1: Yeah, I heard that. And, uh, you know, it's it's surprising. You know, we have, I think we all think of these drivers is, you know, tough as nails. And, you know, Joseph, you know, he, he's chiseled and he, he just, you forget that, you know, they're humans. They're um, they're, they under a lot of pressure. They put a lot of pressure on themselves, mm-hmm. you know, driving for team Penske, you've got willpower and you've got Scott McLaughlin as teammates, you know, they're going to perform uh, you've won five races, but you've also had some disappointing finishes for a variety of reasons. And again, I, I think you tend to forget that these guys are human and, and the pressure is immense. And um, that was that was pretty revealing on Joseph's part. Now, if you were to go back to him in a, in a month and, you know, he may kind of forget some of the pressure that he was under uh, some of it tends to subside with time. Sometimes you get away from the track and you go, you feel much better. And you know he's one that's always talks about how he he doesn't really like the spotlight to begin with. And you know when he gets home, it takes a certain period of time to kind of recharge his batteries and 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 to kind of get away from the sport just a little bit and the and the job requirements. So. When you think about all those things, it's not surprising that he said it, but I thought that in the moment it was uh, pretty revealing. Well,
0: and it's Will Power that has put himself in a better mental landscape at this point, a better better mental pl- place. And this would seem to be self-induced pressure because I wouldn't think anyone else would be saying, hey, Joseph, you got to pick it up. Most of the issues this year were outside of his control. Certainly crashing at Iowa was not his fault. Uh, If that doesn't happen, he probably wins the championship. The fact that the the cars weren't very good at Indy, and he's running mid-pack most of the race, or slightly better than mid-pack, that's not his fault either. Um, So I just found that interesting, and it will be something to watch as we move forward because he, he clearly was tense more often than we've ever seen him before this year during the season so what i was going to start the segment with was i went to the uh, victory banquet on saturday night at the ims museum always love an excuse to get to the museum i hadn't been there well i don't know if i had really been in there for a couple of years or so so that was nice to just kind of walk around a little bit uh bumped into work, chatted with him and and came over and everyone thinks I'm a crazy person now because they think I can form their people are wanting me on radio shows to tell me how their football team go a little bit and what, what she kind of wants to explain is all right so I didn't know that he was going to break Mario's record this year and I didn't know he was going to win the championship I just wanted to tell my man that I've got confidence in him that I believe in him. And he said, yeah, we know, we understand, Will understood. But it was nice of him to give her some credit in that moment. And she and she joked and said, I already look crazy enough, you know, with that water bottle and everything. I don't need people to think I'm any more crazy. And she's not. Liz is as solid and is as important a reason. And Will recognizes this and has always mentioned this. He has as much to do, she has as much to do with his success as Tim Sendrick, or David Faustino, in my opinion, than anyone else in his orbit.
1: Uh, I couldn't Over agree more. Year. I couldn't agree more because Liz is a very grounded person. Uh, you know, uh, you know, she's, she's very Midwestern, if you will, and she kind of talks him off the ledge, from time to time in his career. She's the she's the normal person, and I love Will to death. I think he's one of the most interesting and, and insightful uh athletes that that I've come across in this sport. And he's just he's just fun. He shows everything he's got and sometimes to a fault. But uh yeah, Liz Liz deserves a lot of credit. I'm glad for you to bring that up.
0: And Will will admit it, too. And he went off on a story that something was going the wrong way. And he just kind of laughed and said, you all know I'm awkward. This is just the way it is. Um, but it, it, his uh, speech was more on target than his first championship speech in 2014. It was actually very coherent, very good. Uh, and it, it, was, it was just a nice, relaxing evening uh, there at, at IMS for that. And also, I don't there and nathan brown retweeted this he was also there there there. mark miles uh when he was on stage said uh because they also had indy lights as a part of the presentation it's now under IndyCar sanction and it has not been for a while so the top three in indy lights were all recognized on the stage as well as the rookie of the year uh he said mark did before long you might hear a new name for that referring to indy lights but i'm not getting into that Tonight, so that obviously that was honestly the first time I had heard of that. Others have said, "Yeah, I heard some rumblings." You know, my first thought was, "Well, maybe it's just you know because of Cooper Tires leaving that it's now going to be Firestone Indy Lights again." But it may be more extreme than that. Not done yet, but Mark is the one that threw it out there, so we will stand by to see if there is any change in the branding of of Indy Lights in the near. A uh, couple of Twitter questions came in long ago for the love of event. I think he tweeted this after last week's show. Catching up on the podcast, television may prevent the 500 start time being earlier next year. In 2023, the Premier League season ends the same Sunday as the 500. Matches that day begin simultaneously, normally 11 a.m. Eastern. Prepare for the headache now. I have no idea what the Premier League schedule is, but I feel fairly confident the Premier League is not going to be on NBC at 11 o'clock Eastern on Sunday morning, May 28th. Would you agree with that? Uh,
1: yes, yes, but I, I can't say that I'm uh, much of an expert on Premier League's TV scheduling. So,
0: I mean, I, I don't
1: see them moving the Indy
0: 500 time back to accommodate the Premier League.
1: Agreed. Agree with that.
0: Uh, so so here's oh. I think they're starting the Indy 500 broadcast before 11 a.m. On, on NBC. No. No, it, when I say potentially moving the race up, it would simply be shortening the pre-race. You know, I think you'd still go on air at 11 a.m. Uh, because the race has been starting at about 1230, right? In that range? Yeah, around 1230. Yeah. So, you know, maybe, and there are reasons that this is not ideal either, maybe it's starting at 12.05, 11.55. We'd like to have as much pre-race as possible to tell all the stories, and we certainly want to see as many of the ceremonies as we can see. But the argument could be made, hey, maybe you capture more of an audience if you get to it a little bit quicker before the race starts. And then the other argument is, it's, you know, noon is... 9 a.m. West Coast time. So, do you want to start too much before that? Not eh, much anymore. Uh, we're seeing uh, well in early morning uh, with no competition. Late, I don't know. There's that much of a difference between 12:30 and 12:05, and there's a lot to happen before that's needed. Namely, Kyle Bush coming to an agreement and deciding that he wants to do the Indy 500, and maybe the timing is enough that it doesn't need to start any earlier that there's still time for him to get to Charlotte and run that race. Maybe it's pushed back there. 10 minutes. I doubt they're going to play along on that side. So it's probably going to be on the Indy 500 side to, to make that accommodation. Um, has anything else come to mind on the Kyle Bush front, from what we said last week, I, I still think where we're at that the pecking order is probably Errol McLaren, SP team Penske, Ed Carpenter Racing. I think that's probably the
1: list. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's the list. The question would be: Is is that the order? I would start with Aero McLaren SP. I might put Ed Carpenter Racing second, uh, with Team Penske third, just because I think Roger wants someone else to do it, and Tim Sindrick, mm-hmm. they want they don't want the extra car, uh, so I think they would steer them a different direction. And you raise a good point uh, that. Errol McLaren SP and Ed Carpenter Racing over the last couple of years have been every bit the equal of Team Penske, if not greater, in some respects. So um, I think if I'm Kyle Busch, I don't see that as a secondary ride at all. The question is who's got the sponsor to make it happen and, and who's got the support behind them, uh, you know, from an engineering standpoint. Who's my engineer? That's that type of thing.
0: Mike Stoops says, I would like your perspective on how AMSP and more specifically McLaren runs their operation between Hinch's release, the contract weirdness around Felix and Polo, Pato's unhappiness, signing of multiple drivers, and now Taylor Kyle leaving. There's a lot of noise. So Mike, I would say there's a lot of noise. And maybe that is one of the reasons why Taylor Kyle is leaving because he feels like he might have something he enjoys a little bit better. They, they obviously do operate a little bit differently than everyone else does. And it's, um, it's very polarizing in the paddock. Drivers love Zach Brown because he is raising their salary levels. He's creating competition. There is a new ceiling for top salaries. I know this, that other team owners are not fond because – He's raising salary levels, not only for drivers, but for mechanics and engineers. They're feeling it's getting really tough to compete. And, you know, I've, I've heard some grumbling of, hey, they're taking away our number one engineer. This is not coming from Penske. We all know the Gavin Ward story. But that's an example there of one. He was Joseph Newgarden's engineer, and he's not even on a car. He's not even going to be on the third car next year still going that can impact our uh, the point made was there are some people that would be lead engineers with other teams that are the data acquisition engineers you know the number two or the number three going to stand just because they've got the budget to do it and it's it's hurting our ability to find quality people so Uh, Very polarizing. Zach Brown is polarizing on multiple continents. And as I mentioned earlier, I think we may want to watch Drive to Survive next year to see how IndyCar is is mentioned in that portion of the program.
1: Yeah, you've hit it on the head. Polarizing is the right word, and, and it isn't well received in some aspects of the paddock. In you know, others, it's uh, quite refreshing for for drivers mm-hmm. and for guys getting salaries and media people, too. He's he's one of the Zach is one of the best at returning calls and uh, journalists like that.
0: In its standpoint, Zach Brown
1: is you know, more
0: people talking about it. He's getting IndyCar into new areas. He's interesting. He's dynamic. We need more stars we we need more stars than than just the drivers. Steven Terrell, I hope it's Terrell. I've seen your name many many times, but it could be Terrell or Terrell. For incessant complainers about IndyCar having races and qualifying on Peacock in July, streaming services for the first time outnumbered cable TV view. Viewers, the future is now. He has a link to a story from deadline.com. You know, I know that we go kicking and screaming into the future and and some of us don't always like change, but I've said this before, I don't know when it is, but it's coming, and streaming is the new cable TV. For a while, they are going to operate together, and the people that have equity in cable TV are going to try to make that last and try to make that work, and it's still viable. We're still seeing big audiences from cable television, but at some point, there will become a sh- there that there were more people and the Amazons and all that, but it is moving further ahead. All right, we'll see what we missed coming up in a moment on Trackside. And I think that's going to be important for others because there are going to be some teams that are after high-profile drivers at the end of this next season. So it's already getting started, so we'll do that next week. And then I had one mother, uh, one more thought on the uh, Errol McLaren situation in regards to Taylor Kyle. We talked about just a moment ago about – them raising the bar and raising salaries within the paddock. So as they replace Taylor Kyle, if I'm another team, I'm concerned that they're going to go after my team manager and offer them a significant raise. Remember, Gavin Ward left a place that no one ever leaves. He left team Penny to go to arrow mclaren sp my guess is because and maybe it was because of where he wanted to live and so forth but he probably got a really nice raise so if i'm taylor kyle i'm waiting before i sign with anyone to see if anyone is leaving there might become a job open that you didn't think was going to, to be open so let's keep an eye on that as well for a couple of weeks ago uh for rpe Race, 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 race week we raised a hundred thousand dollars in donations with people like tony Canan and robert wickens driving for charity and people bidding and donating and then a donor anonymously matched that times three so four hundred thousand dollars raised for autoimmune disease research and relapsing polychondritis so thank you to all of those that contributed i've got an idea for maybe something next winter that can involve people that don't have sims and maybe make it a little bigger and better we're out of time we'll see you next tuesday night for kurt and josh i'm kevin this is 93.5 and 107.5 the fan